Let's pray. Holy One, prepare us to receive your word. As we listen in faith and hope, open our souls to your quenching waters. Free us from the confinement of our hearts, that we may hear the promise of your love. Amen. The Old Testament lesson comes from 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 9. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now we're going to join together to do the responsive psalm, which comes from Psalm 22, verses 19 to 28. And you guys will do the uh, bolded section. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Our New Testament lesson comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 29. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we may, might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has, has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Thanks be to God. As a parent of two and a half young children, I often find myself thinking about sleep. I will often concern myself with how much sleep my children are getting, and I'll also think of how little sleep I am getting and reflect on how those two issues are so closely associated with each other. There are many reasons to concern ourselves with sleep. Research has shown that children who regularly get enough sleep have improved attention, behavior, learning, memory, and overall mental and physical health. In adults, the amount of sleep we get has been associated with cognitive abilities, athletic abilities, mental health outcomes, physical health outcomes, and the ways that we interact with other people. Sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care, the death of each day's life, sore labor's bath, balm of hurt minds, great nature's second course, the chief nourisher in life's feast. It is well known that sleep and the ability to rest, more broadly speaking, plays a very important part in our physical health. But we may sometimes underestimate the role that rest plays in our spiritual life. The Old Testament lesson from today comes from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. The book immediately preceding 1 Kings, 2 Samuel, tells us about the highs and the lows of the 40-year reign of King David, who promptly dies uh, in the second chapter of 1 Kings. Solomon follows David as king, and although imperfect, his reign saw the building of the temple in Jerusalem and a time of relative peace and prosperity for about nine chapters uh, until he himself passes away. Turbulent times soon follow. In the aftermath of Solomon's death, the power struggle leads to a division of the 12 tribes into two separate kingdoms, Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And from that division, we get two lines of monarchs who, with a few exceptions, uh, show little respect for the law of Moses and the one true God who delivered them out of Egypt. This is especially true of the northern kingdom of Israel. By the time we get to chapter 19, Israel is under the rule of a king named Ahab, who in chapter 16, verse 30, is said to have done more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, at least part of this evil uh, was a politically motivated marriage to a princess named Jezebel from a land that was deeply steeped in idol worship. And this marriage, with this marriage, came the tradition of idol worship, particularly to a deity that was believed to represent fertility and agricultural success called Baal, into the kingdom of Israel, a direct violation of commandments one and two out of the Big Ten. Now, in chapter 17, we meet a counterweight to Ahab named Elijah, who, was a who had a message for King Ahab from God, that a severe drought would hit the kingdom of Israel and would not let up until he says so. And then it happens just as Elijah says. 
Now, three years into this drought, Ahab and Elijah finally meet again on a large, flat, elevated coastal range spreading into northern Israel from the Mediterranean called Mount Carmel. If you visit there now, you will find yourself in a national park, uh, very lush and green with spectacular views of the Mediterranean Sea to the east and Nazareth to the west. However, in Elijah's day, it was the location of one of the most spectacular events of the Old Testament, in which Elijah challenged 450 prophets of Baal to a contest that would determine once and for all whose God was the best. And the story of this challenge is fairly well known. The prophets of Baal and Elijah both sacrificed bull to their gods, bulls to their gods and set up altars. The prophets of Baal spend an entire day praying and jumping around and doing everything they possibly can to get their god to send down fire and burn up the offering to no avail. However, as soon as it is Elijah's turn, he says a short prayer and fire from heaven comes down and burns up the whole thing, definitively proving the power of the one true God to all of the people of Israel. Now, what follows that is a bit of Old Testament justice, wherein those 450 prophets of Baal are taken down off Mount Carmel and killed, and then it starts to rain. Uh, and so the whole thing, quite ironically, actually, is commemorated by a large stone statue of Elijah uh, in Mount Carmel, Carmel National Park. All of this to say that by the time we get to today's reading, in chapter 19, Elijah must have been feeling pretty okay about things. All of Israel had seen the power of the one true God on Mount Carmel. Ahab went back to the palace to report this to his wife, Jezebel, and the land was receiving a good hard rain after three years of drought. All smooth sailing from there, right? Not really. In the lectionary reading today, we hear first of Queen Jezebel's reaction to the events on Mount Carmel. Now, Queen Jezebel had not been on Mount Carmel, as far as we know, and had not seen these events firsthand. Instead, her husband and Elijah come racing back into Jezreel, where she was staying. She is told about the contest and that the prophets of Baal had all been killed, and then it starts to rain. Now, Queen Jezebel is often remembered as one of the great villains of the Old Testament, if not the Bible. In chapter 18, we hear how she had seen to the execution of many prophets of the Lord before the events on Mount Carmel, and she is implicated in other shady dealings after after Carmel as well. But it is always good practice once you establish the villain of a piece to bend over backwards and be fair to that person. The prophets of Baal have been a major part of the court of Ahab and Jezebel. They had eaten with them, lived with them, learned from them. Most likely a good number of them had come with Jezebel to Israel once she had married Ahab. And although the threat she makes on Elijah's life may seem purely vindictive, the emotions behind the threat uh, may have been a bit more nuanced than that. Just a moment of fairness for Jezebel. Whatever the case may be, rather than recognizing the power of the one true God herself, Jezebel responds to this miracle with a threat sent to Elijah that she would make sure he was dead within the next 24 hours, as dead as those prophets of Baal. Many scholars have argued that the purpose of this message was to frighten Elijah into running away and thereby discredit him, because realistically, if she wanted to have him dead, she probably just would have had it done then and there. Fortunately, 
fortunately for Jezebel, but unfortunately for the historical arc of the kingdom of Israel, the threat works, and Elijah runs for his life. We read in verse 3 that he actually leaves the kingdom of Israel entirely, enters Judah, and just keeps going until he reaches Beersheba, which is, from what I have read, about 100 miles away from his starting point. Uh, That's the distance of almost four ultramarathons. Elijah leaves his servant in Beersheba and then goes for a long, uh, day-long wander into the wilderness. He eventually finds a broom bush under which he takes shelter. Now, a uh, broom bush is a fairly meager shelter at that. Um, uh, the broom bushes of the Negev Desert, they're kind of scraggly-looking things with sort of long, thin branches and very narrow leaves. So the shelter that he did find really was not much. And under this bush, he prays that he would die. I've had enough, Lord, he prayed. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Now, from an outsider perspective, this might seem like kind of a rapid decline uh, from the high of Mount Carmel to lying under a bush and praying to die. But I would argue that there is at least three understandable reasons uh, for his state here. One was that he was terrified. There was one thing Elijah knew about Ahab and Jezebel. It's that they had no qualms with killing prophets. Um, In fact, there's an interesting exchange at the beginning of chapter 18 before Carmel when Elijah has a hard time communicating with Ahab that he will be there because the man he asks to pass on the message is so afraid that Ahab would kill him just for being associated with Elijah. They they really wanted him dead before Mount Carmel, uh, and now they really, really wanted him dead, which was frightening. Second, he was exhausted. I mean, it's one thing to travel from central Israel to southern Judah on your own time and of your own volition, but to flee Jezreel in the rain and run for your life almost a hundred miles seems almost impossible. There's little doubt in my mind at this time Elijah was physically exhausted. And third, he felt as if, despite his best efforts, he had failed miserably. Elijah's goal uh, in all of this had been to get Israel to turn back to the one true God. There had been a three-year drought, followed by a spectacular demonstration of God's power on Mount Carmel, but it wasn't good enough. Um, Although the people who were there repented, the king and queen had not, and for his own safety had to abandon Israel immediately afterward. This is why he says that he is no better than his ancestors. The Hebrew people had a long history of ignoring prophets. People who, like Elijah, just wanted Israel to turn from idols and back to the one true God. Uh, But they had failed, and he had failed, and so he was ready to give up. But then uh, something amazing happens. While he was, is sleeping, an angel of the Lord appears with some food and water and tells him to eat and drink. Uh, he does so, then falls back asleep. Then later, the angel of the Lord comes back and says, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he does. Elijah sleeps. He eats. He has some water. Uh, and because of this, he has the strength to get up and continue down to Mount Horeb, alternatively known as Mount Sinai, where he would meet with the Lord. Now, elsewhere in the Bible uh, and in our spiritual lives, rest is very important. At the very beginning of the book of Genesis, we hear that after God created the heavens and the earth, he rested on the seventh day. In the book of Exodus, when God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, before he prohibits murder, before he prohibits stealing and lying, he says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord 
Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We are commanded by God to take a whole day and rest for our benefit. As Jesus says in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus himself, himself built rest into his ministry, often going off by himself and encouraging his disciples, as in Mark 6, 31, to take a time away together to rest. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy burden, Jesus says in Mark 28, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Even in the 23rd Psalm, that well-known Psalm, is a Psalm of comfort and rest, wherein the Psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. However, I just want to say this caveat, this should not be confused with a call to, to laziness or idleness or inattention because the Bible has some pretty strong language about that too. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense, the teacher wrote in Proverbs 24. Thorns had come up everywhere, the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcely like an armed man. Paul later writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And who among us can forget how irritated Jesus was with those sleepy, sleepy disciples on the night he was betrayed. And so it seems to me at least that this biblical imperative to rest is not simply to lay around and do nothing, but rather to rest in the Lord. The Sabbath is not a day of laziness, but a day of holiness to commemorate and celebrate the Lord. When Jesus goes off to rest, either by himself or with his disciples, prayer is a very important part of that experience. When the psalmist talks about laying down in green pastures, it is under the supervision of the Lord, his shepherd. And so just as the rest of Elijah in the reading today was nourished by the bread and water sent from God, so too is our rest nourished by the presence of God therein. Now, the lesson for today is an important one. I feel that, that strongly, and I want to stress that. We live in a world that does not seem to value rest. We're told to do as much as we can for as long as we can, and we'll sleep when we're dead. As a church, we may find ourselves thinking that the best way forward, even when we are tired, even when we are worn out, is to just keep pushing. If things aren't working, then maybe we just aren't trying hard enough. The answer is always more effort and more hard work. But that's not the picture of the Lord we see in the Bible lesson today. The angel of the Lord did not go up to Elijah under the broom bush, give him a couple swift kicks, and then tell him to keep going. Rather, he encouraged him to eat, for the journey was long, and Elijah needed rest and nourishment. The shepherd of the psalmist doesn't push his sheep to run past the green pastures and ignore the still waters because he has other important sheep stuff to do. Rather, he watches over the sheep as he enjoys the green pastures pastures in the still waters. The Sabbath is not a day to push harder than you push the rest of the week, but a day to recuperate, to praise the Lord, and to rest from the week. 
And so as we go forward into these summer months, I pray that we might find rest in the Lord and through that rest receive spiritual nourishment for all of our journeys ahead. To God's name be the glory now and forever. Amen.